to you tonight. I'd like you to open them up to the book of 2 Timothy, and we'll be starting chapter 3 tonight. But before we get started on our study, we do have a couple of uh, prayer uh, needs that I would like us just to pray for. And does anyone know how Joyce is doing? Has anyone talked with Joyce? I know she had surgery. Okay. Good. Okay. So we want to pray for Joyce, who's recovering from surgery. And most of you know Ed and Irene. Ed is our coffee and donut man downstairs on Sundays. So we miss him when he's gone. But his wife, uh, Irene, has been going through a real difficult health struggle. And they were going today to see a specialist at USC. They're not sure what's wrong with her. Uh, they, They have said fibromyalgia is one of the things. But she just has real severe pain, and she's not, they're not sure what's causing it, and fatigue. And they've put her on some pain medication, but that you know, has other side effects. So uh, they're just concerned about her. So we want to pray for her tonight as well. And I know there are other needs, but we'll just lift those two up specifically here before we get started in our study. And then we'll uh, take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this uh, time to gather here tonight. We want to thank you, Lord, for the blessing of worship and fellowshipping with you in the Spirit. And God, now we, sim- we want to bring some requests to you, Lord, just as you said in your word that we should bring our requests and make them known unto you, to be anxious for nothing but in everything, with thanksgiving, through prayer and supplication, to make our requests known unto you. So, Lord, we have a couple that are hurting in the body tonight. And the word says that when one suffers, we all suffer, Lord. We're connected. We're dependent upon one another. So our heart goes out to Ed and Irene tonight, Lord, and our heart goes out to to Joyce. And we want to lift them up to you, Lord, and ask that you would be with them, Lord, individually and spiritually and emotionally. And, Lord, we want to pray for physical recovery and healing. We pray in in the case of Joyce that she would recover, Lord, well from surgery, that there would be no complications, and that she would be encouraged, God, to have this behind her. And the Lord, you would be ministering to her even through the midst of this in a special way and comforting her, God. And Lord, we also want to ask that you would help Ed and Irene as they try to find out what's going on with Irene's health, Lord. I, I do pray that today's um, appointment was, was fruitful, and I pray that you would give the doctors wisdom, Lord, in discerning what may be wrong and that they would have an, an, an idea of what might help. But, God, we look to you. More, before we look to the physicians, Lord, oh, we thank you for them, and we trust that you will use them. But, Lord, we look to you, and we ask you to heal. We ask you to intercede and intervene, Lord, and that you would take uh, Irene's pain away and, Lord, bring them back to just a full restoration, God, that this, this season would pass. And, Lord, now we want to come to you tonight and open up your word and ask you to speak to us, Lord. We'll be looking at this very, very important chapter out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. As the Apostle Paul begins to speak to Timothy about perilous times. And, Lord, certainly we can relate to the times that we live in as being very perilous. And so much of what we will look at tonight, Lord, it will almost look like Uh, just the news headlines off of a typical day that we see here, Lord, in in our own lifetime. So we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us as this would be very relevant even now as we 
live out in these last days. So God, open our hearts to hear from you and protect us. God, may we be sober-minded. May we be diligent at this time. This is not a time, Lord, to be slack about spiritual things. This is not a time to be uh, silly or lazy or, or frivolous. God, it's a time to be diligent. It's a time to be alert, sober-minded. It's a time to be busy about our Father's business. So God, speak to us tonight out of your word that we might be strengthened and refreshed by you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've been looking at this book of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul encouraging Timothy and also warning Timothy and exhorting Timothy on some of the dangers and some of the things that that he needed to deal with and warning of false teachers, warning of vessels of dishonor and how to keep himself as a vessel of honor. And he's going to continue in this type of exhortation. And now he's going to begin to talk about the last days. And the last days, biblically speaking, are really the, the, the days from the time of Christ's ascension till his return. The shorter and shorter those last days are. And no one knows for certain when Jesus will return and the, the final Stage the final conflict, the book of Revelation, and what we, we often call the Great Tribulation. We're not sure when that will begin. But we do know that um, Jesus said, when, when you see the leaves on the tree, you know that, that talk about the kinds of things that will be happening in the last days. I can't help but feel like, Lord, we must be in the last of the last days. We must be getting closer to what uh, seems like uh, has no resolve but for the Lord to return. So these, these passages will be relevant to us. And I want you to consider this tonight. Paul is really talking to Timothy about and warning him about those that pretend to have a form of godliness but do not. And he's going to talk about the types of individuals that would be even amongst the church, even uh, those that would be mimicking ministries in the church. And that's kind of his warning, but, and, and it's quite a list. And tonight, the title of tonight's message is the, the Top 20 of Perilous Times. We have 20 things to look at. I don't know how many. It might be you know, easy for us to kind of look at this and say, oh, well, that's not me. Whew, that's not me. That's not me. And, and Paul's talking about these, must be talking about some real evil. And he is. But, Each point is worthy of our consideration as well in this sense, that these are the things that I want to keep my life as far away from as possible. Let them serve as a warning. Let it serve as a caution about how we want to live our spiritual lives. Because the Bible says repeatedly, don't don't get high-minded spiritually. Don't think that you're so strong spiritually that you think, and I hope that some of these things are definitely not defining our character here tonight, but I want us to know, Lord, that those are the kinds of things that I need to be mindful of. Those are the kinds of things that I don't want my life to slip into. And, and you will see. So let's start. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, 
traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. All right, we want to just go through, and and some of these are very self-explanatory. Some of them I think we'll spend a little more time on than others, but I just want to give you, uh, we'll go through the list and, and kind of expound on what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And I, I really think that the first one that he gives us there in, chap, in verse 2 is kind of the linchpin for everything else. Men will be lovers of themselves. And if you look at everything beneath that, that first one, almost everything kind of finds its root in that. Lovers of themselves. Those that are, that are lovers of themselves also tend to be lovers of money. They also tend to be boasters and proud. It's that love of self that really is kind of the root for many of the things that we'll look at here tonight. And today, and, and this is why I think you know, we, we really are in the last days, love of self, Paul is talking about this as a great evil, lovers of themselves. But today, in our culture, love of self is actually almost something that is promoted and considered to be you know, healthy, self-esteem. You've got to love yourself first. And that's not really a biblical idea. The biblical pattern is to love who first? To love God. What's the command, the greatest commandment that Jesus spoke of? Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the first and the greatest commandment is that we would love God. And when we get ourself first before God, some, some love God, but they, the, the, the first and greatest commandment in their heart is themselves. And then God is second. But when you get that order reversed, it, it does not produce spiritual health. And so we have this culture that wants to build self-esteem. And this whole kind of psycho psychology type of uh, analysis that, you know, you've got, you've got to feel better about yourself. And I'm telling you, it's, it's crept into the church, too. We have ministries and churches that, that, are, that are kind of, you know, talking about self-fulfillment. Uh, you, you know, God wants to help you be a better you. And it's very self-absorbed. And it's very self-centered. Even some of the doctrine that we hear. And, and you know, you, it's, it's really a good, it's probably a good litmus test when you hear different types of ministries or have opportunity to, to witness other ministries, hear ministries on the radio, on the television. You know, what's, you know, cut, cut through, you know, what am I hearing? What is it really promoting? Is Jesus Christ being exalted? Is the word of God, is the kingdom of God? Or is, the, is, it, is it about me? Is it about what God wants to do for me? And the better me that I'm going to be in the, and how God wants me to live on top and not the, the, I'm the head and not the tail. And, oh, God's going to do it. It just has that self-serving kind of theme. Even though they're talking about God, they're talking about the Bible. They're, and, and like Paul said, they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the real power, the power of God to change your life. And so these are some of the things that we want to consider tonight, this love of self. And I'll read this little quote to you. It's not a little, it's a little paragraph here. I'd like to read this to you. It's a quote from a book that was written called Psychology Through the Eyes of Faith by David Myers and Malcolm Jeeves. And they give some abundant evidence against this myth 
concerning low self-esteem. In a chapter titled, A New Look at Pride, they write this. Time and again, experimenters have found that people readily accept credit when told they have succeeded, attributing the success to, to their ability and effort, yet they attribute failure to external factors such as bad luck or the problem's inherent impossibility. These self-serving attributions have been observed not only in laboratory situations, but also with athletes after victory or defeat, students after a high or low exam grade, drivers after accidents, married people among whom conflict often derives from perceiving oneself as contributing more and benefiting less than is fair. Self-concepts researcher Anthony Greenwald summarizes People experience life through a self-centered filter. In virtually any area that is both subjective and socially desirable, most people see themselves as better than average. Most business people see themselves as more ethical than the average business person. Most community residents see themselves as less prejudiced than their neighbors. Most people see themselves as more intelligent and healthier than most other people. Later in the book, the authors maintain that the most common error in, in people's self-images is not unrealistically low self-esteem, but rather self-serving pride. Not an inferiority complex, but a superiority complex. So these are Christian psychologists that did, a, did some research and found that, you know, the trouble isn't self, low self-esteem. The trouble is people have a superiority complex. Many people consider themselves better than others. That's what's frustrating the culture. That's what's frustrating people's lives. Selfishness. And they look through, the, they look through life with a self-centered filter. It's interesting when Jesus talked about the greatest commandment and he said the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it was just assumed that you love yourself, Right? He didn't say, now, by the way, make sure you love yourself so that you'll be able to love your neighbor as yourself. No, he said, I'm pretty sure you already love yourself. Just work on loving your neighbor the same amount that you love yourself. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it's, it, it's, it's pretty much common knowledge that most of us are pretty fond of ourselves. <laughs> you know, the, the, Pastor Brian always used to say, you know, you get, a, you get a group picture and you're in it. Where does your eye look first? You know, you're not looking to see how everybody else looks. You're looking right to your, oh, oh this. And, and if, you, if you look good, it's a great picture. <laughs> everybody else could have their eyes closed. And, yeah, what a, this is a, you should frame this. But if you look bad, that picture should be destroyed, no matter what anybody else looks like. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talked about husbands loving their wives. And this is the way he encouraged it. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. You hear what the word says? No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Boy, that's true. We nourish and we cherish. <laughs> and the exhortation is, hey, if you would get the same amount of love that you have for your own person if you could learn to love others. Husbands, if you could learn to love your wives in the same way that you love your own flesh, then your marriage will be strong. The issue isn't that you know, you're not getting enough. The issue is 
more likely you're not giving enough. And that's the same would be true for the wives. That's it, when we get two selfish people, you know, trying to, to fight for turf, you have conflict. So Paul talks about that there will, there's coming a time when, when men will become lovers of themselves. And I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing, as I mentioned, even in our culture, it's actually encouraging it. And I think if you, if you look at our society, we, people are just getting more and more selfish. People are becoming more and more consumed with themselves. I do want to spend a little bit more time on this than some of the others because, as I said, I think it, it really influences all the others. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Back to your left, just a couple books. We've looked at this before. This is a very famous passage of Scripture, but it just so, so fits the encouragement of Scripture. Chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the example, isn't it? Jesus Christ. He set the bar, and it's a high one. But the call is that we would have that same attitude, not our own ambition. Esteem others better than yourself. Boy, that's tough. Learn to consider others to be even more important than yourself. That's the attitude Christ had. He came to serve. He did not come to be served, but rather to serve. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Men will also be lovers of money. Boy, we see that today, don't we? Materialistic, greedy, covetous, always needing more. That's the way the flesh is, you know. No matter how much you give the flesh, it's never satisfied. We always need a little more. The flesh can never be fulfilled. Well, this, this... we know we covered this just in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You don't need to turn to it. I'll remind you of it. We looked at this just a few weeks back when we were going through the book of 1 Timothy. We brought nothing into this world, Paul reminded Timothy, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul warns about the love of money. Now, he's not talking about those that work hard and look to advance their careers. And, and that, that is certainly a normal process as we uh, you know, work hard and diligently into the Lord. In fact, the Bible said if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. The Word of God encourages us to be hardworking and we should be diligent. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, getting a promotion and making more money. These are not bad things. But the love of money, when it takes hold of you instead of you managing it, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil then it becomes consuming. Then it becomes covetous. I've got to have more things. I need more stuff. I I, I want to make more. It's still not enough. And we start chasing the finer things of life. 
And Paul warns against that. And he says that in the last days, boy, money, and boy, I'm telling you right now, money drives everything. Politics, sports, education, school districts, money is at the root of a lot of what's going on. And Paul said in the last days that that would become a high motivator is the love of money. Boasters, braggarts, know-it-alls, they exaggerate their abilities, their accomplishments, their talents, their reputations, and their value to society and to the church. I like this. I wrote this down. I liked it so much. They are always the heroes of their own stories. <laughs> Any story they tell you, guess who the hero is? Ta-da! <laughs> They're this hero of every story they tell. I don't know if you, if you follow sports. I know some of you men do. And I can remember when I was a kid watching, you know, like the NFL football. You know, those guys just played hard and made great plays and made great tackles. And they just played the game. They get up and go back to the huddle and like, do the next play. And if somebody made a tackle, you know, they'd kind of get up and guys would give them a little pat on the shoulder, back to the huddle. Now, when somebody makes a tackle, if you're watching the NFL, it becomes this huge celebration. These guys, you know, they're running all over the field. They're looking for the camera, you know. Look what I did. I made a tackle. Well, you're supposed to make it. You're a linebacker, you know. Big deal. Every play, almost any kind of normal play is turned into this big grandstanding. And there's just this, you know, this arrogance, this pride, this boasting that's rising up in the heart. And, you know, those are, our, those are the role models, right? And that trickles right down into the, the rest of our generations behind. And, and so we have that. You know, I, I've got uh, teenage boys in the home. Here we go. <laughs> and it is, it is funny. Um, you know, to, and I got the, the two brothers pretty close in age, you know. And it, it reminds me of the disciples. Remember the disciples? Arguing amongst themselves as to who was the greatest. Remember? So you're in good company, boys. <laughs> Peter and John, you know, a little competition they had going. And, everybody, and, and it's just, it's, a, it's almost funny. And then they get some of their buddies over, you know, and we've got some of them here tonight. And, you know, to, to hear them tell the stories, you know. Come home from football practice. Hey, guys, tell me about the practice. Oh, I creamed this guy. You didn't cream him. I creamed him. And did you see the tackle I made? Did you? And it just, it, it just, it just flows out so naturally. <laughs> Not Tyler. <laughs> He's the hero in this story. <laughs> and, and I know that this is, you know, that's the youth, adolescence, and, and there, you know, I, I'm not, I don't read in too much into that, you know, because that's just part of that, that age and that whole, you know, just enjoying one another and, and being competitive. And that's, those are, some of those things are good and healthy. But just how natural it is for us to want to be, you know, the big shot, us to want to be, you know, the most important one. Whose idea was that? Well, that was my idea, if it was a good one, right? If it didn't turn out too good, I told you. I, that was your idea. You know, and you see this in, the, you see this in marriage, you see this also in the workplace. I remember when, you, when I you know, had people that worked for me. Boy, if something went well, it's amazing how many people's ideas that was. When something went bad, boy, everybody was quiet. 
you know, nobody wants to take credit for that. So boasting, it just, uh, it's something that uh, we see in our culture. We can laugh about it, but, but there is a root there. And Paul talks about it really pr- uh, proud. And that's the next one on the list. Number four is pride. And this word is, uh, also means arrogant. And it has the literal meaning of placing above. Hence the idea of superiority. Jesus warned the Pharisees concerning this superiority. Boasters is boasting is real kind of out loud and and you know and out in the open with the the feeling of superiority. Pride isn't necessarily as that loud. Sometimes we can be even not a boaster, but in our hearts we can be proud, and we can be looking down at others. We can be despising others in our heart. And that was the case in the Pharisees. The Pharisees pretended to be very humble and spiritual, but in their hearts, they were proud. In their hearts, they really considered themselves better than others. Let me give you just a few verses on pride. Some of this I'm sure you've heard of. Proverbs 6.16 says this, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. The first thing on the list, a proud look. Pride is one of the things described as the Lord hates. Proverbs 16.5, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Abomination is more than just dislike. That word abomination, it's like, remember Jesus said, I I would rather that you would be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. It's, it's God, it, it's, it's, it nauseates the Lord. It's an abomination. It's some, pride is something that God is, uh, it, it rea- solicits a, a real a wrathful response from God. God hates pride. Didn't know that the Lord hated some things, did you? Well, he hates pride. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says this, and he speaks to the younger people. We've got some younger people here tonight. Listen. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. Now, that would include all of us. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to set your life on a path for difficulty, then you just be proud. If you want to run against, if you want to run up against the resistance of Almighty God, then you just be pride, proud in yourself. God resists the proud. And if you want His grace and you want His help and you want His assistance in your life, He gives grace to the humble. This is a key to accessing the power of God. Humility of heart. God will take the humble and raise him up. God will take the proud and bring him down. You want God? You want to fight against God? Good luck. It, it's an easy place to pick that fight. Just be proud in your heart. You'll meet God's resistance in your life. And listen, God knows how to humble, doesn't he? Anybody ever been humbled by the Lord? I mean, in a good way, you know, a discipline, you know, correcting sort of way. Whoo, boy. I've had the Lord uh, deal with me. I'll tell you a story. I wasn't going to tell you, but I'll, I want you to know how humble I've, I've, I am. 
I used to teach um, this worship class. Um, uh, well, there was a seminar. Calvary Chapel does a worship seminar once a year. And a few years back, I don't know, five or six years ago, I got invited out. To, uh, I met the guy who headed it up, and he invited me to come and, and speak at the seminar. So I went down and uh, um, taught a couple of classes at the worship seminar. And it was a blessing, you know. There was, it was a great turnout. It was just, it, hundreds of people attend this thing, and uh, it was a blessing just to be a part of it. And I got invited back several years, and, and each year was a blessing. Well, and then about, I don't know, it was either the third or fourth year in, they forgot to put my name. I was invited, and they, he, they emailed everything, okay, they, you know, you need to come, and you need to teach. This is a class we'd like you to teach, okay. Well, they forgot to put it on the schedule for some reason. And so I got down there, and I go in to teach my class, and there's somebody else in my class, you know, and I'm, what's going on here? Oh, man, we messed up. We forgot. You know what? Come back tomorrow because it's like a two-day thing. Come back tomorrow, and, and I'm going to make an annou- special announcement, and we'll just announce it. Well, came back the next day, and they forgot to announce it in the morning. So I, you know, then finally, kind of, then, of course, the thing's starting to thin out by now. They, they made an announcement right before lunch. Okay, in the afternoon, we have this quick switch, uh, you know, if you want to worship in the Holy Spirit. And it was this class. And, you know, I had two people in my class. <laughs> I had two people. Well, I taught my heart out. I want you to know those two people got the best I could give them. But, you know, the Lord, I, I was driving back, and I was really soured about the whole thing. You know, what's wrong with these people? Aren't they organized? I mean, you know, I drove all the way down here. And I said, you know, and Lord, I have something to say. I have something to offer the body of Christ about worship. The Lord said, well... You gave the two that I wanted to hear it. <laughs> you got the two that I had for you. <laughs> and it, it just humbled me, you know. But it was, it was a good thing. You know, the Lord just ministered. Lord, you know, I needed that. You know, Lord, thank you. You know, whether we have a chance to speak to, to 50, 100, or two, that's not really the issue, is it? The issue is that we be ready and faithful with what God gives us. And it just, it just humbled me. And it was so good to... To just say, Lord, you know, and it was a blessing. I'm telling you, the three of us had a great time. <laughs> but the Lord knows how to humble you, and he knows how to, how to dose that out to you in just the right way and get your attention. He knows what's in our, in our hearts. Pride. Oh, how we, we need to remain humble before the Lord. Blasphemers. Number five. This has the idea of reviling or slanderous, abusive speech, foul language. Boy, we got some of that, don't we? Um, I heard a brother teach on this, and it used, he, he said, you know, in my day, there used to, you know, it used to be that men would not speak foul language around women and children, you know, back in the day. You know, they, uh, you get them out in the, you know, in the shop, and they're talking up a storm, but you get them around the wives or children, and they would watch themselves. And I thought to myself, brother, today, it's the women and children that are cursing and carrying on. I mean, I hear some of these kids on campus. I hear, you know, you go out into some of these public places and you hear some of these young ladies talk like sailors, you know. And it's blasphemous. You know, the Lord's name is taken in vain. And just, you know, the the, the language is, is just, it's so abusive. It's so harsh in the way they talk to one another. The way, you know, that kind of conversation goes on in homes and amongst families. And it's, it's just terrible. 
this abusive speech, reviling, slanderous, foul language. We need to be see, we need our our words to be seasoned. We need to speak as though it were the oracles of God. Listen, church, it's a chance to shine brightly. Kids, it's a chance to show that you're different. Just in the way that you talk, it will get noticed. And I'm not saying you gotta, you, you don't even have to preach the gospel. Just clean, just don't talk the trash and people will know what's wrong with him. You're different. Let the Holy Spirit clean up just your conversation. I'm not saying, I'm not speaking to anybody that I know of a problem. I'm simply saying it's an opportunity to be salt and light, to make a difference where, where we go by the way that we speak. Number six, disobedient to parents. Oh, I'm so glad the young people are in here with us tonight. <laughs> Disobedient to parents. Almost seems like it doesn't fit, doesn't it? I mean, we're talking about blasphemy. We're talking about lovers of money. We're talking about pride. And then disobedient to parents? That almost seems like, you know, that, that, that shouldn't be listed with this harsh list of things that we're studying. But it is, and I'll tell you why. Because God has set the family unit, really, as the foundation for society. And that's where the enemy looks to attack. And that's where God knows we need to be on guard. When, when the family breaks down, when the home breaks down, no one's in charge. Kids don't obey parents. Parents don't treat one another with respect. Parents don't treat the kids with respect, abuse, language, all of that. When, the, when that happens in the home, the family deteriorates. And when families begin to deteriorate, society deteriorates. We are seeing the fruit of some of that. We are experiencing some of that. I would imagine to say, and we won't survey tonight, but I would imagine to say that the majority of the people in here have, ha- have come out of some kind of a broken home, some type of a family disaster. And, and I'm not saying that, that's, I'm not saying that to, to, to shine a light on anybody. I'm simply saying that's the culture we're in. God is able to redeem. God is able to rescue. God wants to rebuild families. God wants to restore. God wants to bring life. And that's what we need to allow him to do. Children being disobedient to parents is a serious offense. It's one of the signs of the last days that Paul speaks of, when children no longer respect their parents. And, you know, my wife will oftentimes remind my children, just be glad you don't live in the Old Testament times. Because in the Old Testament times, when the children were rebellious, they took them out and they stoned them. That kept disobedience to a minimum. <laughs> I'm not advocating that. I'm not saying we want to go back to that. But uh, we like to wave that thread around once in a while. We've come a long way, haven't we, in terms of the way we, we parent and discipline our children. Let me just give you a few verses to consider. Children, this is to you, young people. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. Do you want to put yourself in a place where 
you can be expecting God's promise in your life. This is one of the commandments. It's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. This was the first commandment that actually offered a promise, a reward for keeping. That if you would honor your father and mother, it would be well with you and you would live long on the earth. God will bless the child that blesses his parents. God will bless, it will go well with the child who learns to respect and obey his parents. Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, parents, I do think that parenting is a part of our problem today in our children. I believe that part of the, one of the reasons that there's so much disobedience to parents is that parents aren't parenting. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, we have to train. You have to train up a child in the way he should go. Kids don't just go the way they're supposed to go. They have to be trained. They have to be nurtured. They have to be corrected. They have to be loved. They have to be disciplined. They have, just as the Heavenly Father works in our lives, we have to work in the lives of our children. Why? Well, Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I'm going to be found that out if you've raised if you raised children. I didn't have to teach my kids how to be sneaky or how to be selfish. It just was already bound up in there. Their little hearts had it already, and it used to be cute, and they got older, and it's no longer cute. <laughs> Listen to this. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Listen to Proverbs twenty three twelve. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 29.15 The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We live in a time where even these verses, which are so clear and explicit... We almost, we almost hesitate to, to... It's so politically incorrect to discipline our children that when we hear this kind of talk from the Scriptures, we... A rod of correction? Yes, that's what the Scripture says. Now you can, oh, well, that must mean a time out. That must be... And, and I think that, you know, there are methods of discipline that are effective in the lives of our children. But according to the Scripture, there is this rod of correction. There ha discipline has to have some kind of firmness to it. There has to be some consequence to rebellion. And it's not because we don't love the child. It's because we love the child. It's because we want to bring the child into the right type of behavior. Now, it has to be done lovingly. It has to be done properly. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And I'll confess to you, I've done a little of both. I've done it well. I've done it right. And there's times when I've just been so frustrated and angry. I'm, I'm more of a... I'm, I got, there's more screaming and yelling than there is training going on. Is that right, son? <laughs> and it has to be balanced with love. And it has to be balanced with, you know, the Word of God and training. It, 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 we're not here tonight to give all the... The, the instruction about parenting, but let me simply say that 
Disobedience to parents isn't all the problem of the children. Oftentimes, it's the problem of the parenting. And we have to be responsible as parents well. Children, you have to respect and honor your parents. And your parents have to require that of you. And they have to have the right to require that of you. Because a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. And so we need to give wisdom. Number seven, unthankful. Romans 121. You don't need to turn to it, but we've looked at that in our study of Romans. And remember, Paul talked about those that, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. Instead, they became futile in their thoughts, and in their foolish hearts they were darkened. You see, self-centered people believe that they deserve good things, and therefore they are ungrateful. When you feel like you're entitled to it, you're not thankful when things come to you. And, you know, I, I often talk about our traveling to India and just the differences in the culture that are there and the things that, that go on there and the, 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 the blessings that we have that we take for granted. And they're so thankful and so appreciative. I mean, we bring, we bring Dave will tell you, we, we bring like flashlights to give out to the pastors because when they're out doing ministry in the villages, there's no electricity. They're out there. They need flashlights to get from, you know, hut to hut just to minister. And you'd think you'd given them a million dollars. Oh, these flashlights. And, you know, they're good ones. They're like these little steel cases. Oh, the flashlights. I'm still getting letters. We were there almost a year ago. I'm still getting letters of thanks from pastors using their flashlights. They're thankful. We're so materialistic. We, we've lost sight of how to be thankful. We're not thankful to the Lord. You get up and you walk out. You, you, you don't realize that, that the Lord gave breath in your lungs today that the Lord created another day for you to live and serve Him, that every day is a gift from God, that every meal, it should be... That's why we pray. I know how... I, I'm guilty. I'm hungry. Let's get this prayer over, you know. I want to get to the food. Oh, Lord. Thank you for this food, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, here we go. But there... You know what? There is something that God... That, that is something that God has provided, that we would train our hearts to be thankful that we would not assume that we're entitled to these things, like spoiled children, like God owes it to us. No, let's live with thankful hearts. Let's learn to appreciate even the small things that God has done because He's done so many wonderful things. And everything is a gift from Him. Everything is a blessing from Him. Well, we'll close here tonight. We're, we're out of time. We'll look at the rest of the list. We're, at, we're working our way through the top 20 things that Paul mentions on the perilous times. We've gotten through the first seven. Next week, we'll finish up. I thought I was going to get all the way through them, but I didn't get even halfway. All right. I want to uh, give an opportunity if anybody here tonight needs to, and, and just feel this in my heart, nobody feel pressured to respond. If you need to come to the Lord for the first time, I know most of the faces here tonight, I don't think there's anyone that, that isn't a Christian, but if you are not a Christian, I want to, we, we'd like to give you an opportunity to respond. I normally don't on Wednesday nights because it's usually just our, our family. 
But I also want to give an opportunity for anyone to rededicate their life to the Lord. Maybe at one time you did give your life to the Lord, but you're just living in a place tonight that you know is not right with God. And just before I close in prayer, I want to give, give anybody that needs that an opportunity to respond because I want to, we want to pray for you. And then I'm going to just close our service. Is there anybody here tonight? And I just want you to show me by your hand. You need to rededicate your heart to the Lord. God bless you, brother. Or you need to come to the Lord for the first time. Anyone else? All right, let's pray for this brother. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honesty of heart. We thank you, Lord, for the humility. And God, as we studied tonight, you give grace to the humble. And Lord, it's, it's not easy to raise our hand and say, I need to come back to the Lord. I'm not where I should be. It's not easy, Lord, but it's right and it's good. And it demonstrates a humility and an honesty and a sincerity. And Lord, I pray that for my brother that you will meet him tonight in this place. And that by your spirit, Lord, you will draw him back into close fellowship with you. And that this would be the beginning of his life being strengthened, his life being encouraged, his life being dramatically changed by the power of God. I pray that you would let him know tonight that he's cleansed and forgiven, that there is no condemnation for him tonight, that he comes to open arms, he comes to a God who delights in giving mercy. And Lord, I pray that he would find your spirit there just strengthening and helping him. And Lord, for others tonight, I have a sense in my heart, Lord, and I have my sense, Lord, I'm thinking tonight that there are some young people here tonight. And I know that they did not raise their hands. And I don't want to pressure anybody. But I want to pray for the young people that I think you've put in my heart. My sense is tonight that there are some young people here that need to get their hearts and lives right with God. That they are living something on the outskirts, not really in the center of what God has for them. And if you're a young person here tonight, if this is speaking to you, then you know who you are. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will confirm this in your own heart. And I want to pray for you, young person. And there may be more than one. Lord, I pray for this, these young people that are here with us tonight. And I want to pray for, this, for the young person specifically, and they know who they are, that is not living in the center of what they, you have for them. They're, 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 they're loving you at a distance. They're walking with you, sort of. And they know it, and they know that you want more. And they know that you desire their whole heart. And I pray, Lord, that as you speak to them tonight, that they would not harden their heart, but that they would soften it. That they would say, oh, God, I, I surrender. Oh, God, soften my heart. Even as we sang tonight, Lord, I, I yield it to you. I'm yours. I'm your man. I'm your woman. Lord, I'm yours. I have been playing a game. I have been walking something of a, aloof from you. I'm ready to get serious. I'm ready to do business with you, God. Bring my heart close. Lord, draw them near to you. Fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your love. Let them know, God, that a life with you is the greatest life possible. And that whatever it is they're holding on to, Lord, it's not worth trading the glory of God for. So I pray, Lord, that you would draw this, these young people into your, into your heart tonight, that their hearts would be completely yours. And Father, we want to thank you for this, this word tonight, this, the word of God that is so clear and, Lord, so relevant, written 2,000 years ago.
Paul said what the, the last days would look like. He must have had the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we know that he did. And Lord, we're seeing it play out before our very eyes. We're watching. Lord, all we have to do is turn the headline news on. And every one of these attributes, we see these things in spades. It's just out there in uh, overwhelming uh, proportions. And Lord, what an opportunity for us to be lights. What a time for us to be sober-minded. What a time for us to live diligently, Lord. What a time for us to be about our Father's business. Lord, as the darkness grows, so does the light shine brighter. And I pray, Lord, that our lights would shine, that we would be like a city set on a hill, and that you would draw men unto yourself, Lord. Lord, that's how you're going to build your church. That's how you're going to do a work in, in this community and others. It's through the light that, go, that shines through the life of your children. It's through the sheep out living in the culture, drawing and saving and rescuing men by the, their life and their witness. And so, Lord, help us to be what you've called us to be. Empower us to do it, Lord. We can't do it apart from you and your Holy Spirit. And we submit ourselves to you, Lord. And once again, we thank you for your word, your love, your, your, your spirit tonight. And we pray that you would go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.